You're tuned to The Conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Today we're bringing back four stories that spotlight surfing and local surfers. And we catch up with Luke Shepardson, winner of the 2023 Eddie Aikau Big Wave Invitational. Shepardson isn't a professional surfer. He's a lifeguard on Oahu's North Shore. And winning the Eddie catapulted him into the national limelight. It also cast a light on the high level of skill and talent of all of the lifeguards that patrol Hawaii's beaches. The conversation's Russell Subiano got a chance to talk to Shepardson about his win. Uh, he also talked with the city's chief of ocean safety, John Titchen, about the men and women who keep Keep a watchful eye over Oahu's beaches. Look at this one. One more taker. Luke Shepardson with a giant drop. Shepardson outrunning the avalanche. And he eventually gets eaten up. But Luke Shepardson doing it again. That's the sound of reactions to Oahu lifeguard Luke Shepardson surfing a massive wave during the Eddie Aikau Big Wave Invitational back in January. Since winning the event, his life has been a whirlwind of local and national interviews, filming car commercials, and celebratory parties, which is the opposite of normal for the humble and low-key North Shore family man. I had to wait in a long line to finally get the chance to speak to him, but this is a testament to just how kind and generous he is. He messaged me, gave me his phone number, and told me to call him. So I did and we talked while he was driving back to work after a lunch break. There are probably hundreds of thousands of people around the world that surf, and as the waves get bigger, that number starts to dwindle. How did you work your way up to charging 20-plus foot waves? It was from when I was about 10 years old, 11 years old, when I started going into four to five foot waves, just like a little bit bigger, and then surfing bigger and bigger waves. From then, and that was like the dream. As, but yeah, my dad taught me how to surf when I was little. I've been in the water as long as I can remember. And then Uncle Liam McNamara and his kids, Dave, those are my best friends. And Uncle Liam took me around the world surfing. He took me to Tahiti for the first time when I was 10 years old and helped me out get boards and everything that I needed. Him being Garrett McNamara's brother, Garrett was the first person to take me to surfing like into proper waves and it just seemed Uncle Garrett surfing the eddy as I was there with Landon and we watched him get his boards ready but yeah just seeing that was like surreal to like be there and just be around people that are surfing in it and then growing up and seeing all those people it just really was ingrained in my mind that I wanted to be a part of it one day. Any plans to compete in another surf contest here or abroad? The Eddie is kind of my only plan for surf contest. I am not a good competitive surfer. I, it really throws me off. I get the jitters and the butterflies and all that, and I don't feel myself when I'm surfing in contests. So I don't really plan on chasing contests anywhere, but I do plan on going and chasing Pokemon when I can. Is that because being on duty that day kind of kept your mind off the contest? Yes, a lot. Yeah, because I wasn't focused on the contest at all. I was focused on all the beach patrons and trying to make sure everyone was in a safe area and all that and dealing with the crowd and doing the warnings and all that stuff really kept my mind off. I didn't really even watch much of the waves because the Hawaiian Water Patrol was out there, but when they did say, oh, we have somebody we're bringing in or this and that, then I was paying attention. I did see a few waves, but I wasn't too focused on like, oh, this person did that or this person has this score or whatnot. I just was focused on the beach and doing my job. And then when it was my time to surf, I had a break from working and I went out to catch a few waves like I would on any other day at work. And I'm still blown away that a North Shore lifeguard paddled out into 40 plus foot waves with professional surfers and surfing legends and won the world's most prestigious big wave surfing competition. It also gives me a whole new respect for the men and women that patrol our island beaches and the skill set they bring to the job, which also made me curious about the current status of Oahu's Ocean Safety and Lifeguard Division. In December 2022, personnel processing delays nearly created a crisis point for the agency. So I reached out to Ocean Safety Chief John Titchen to get an update. Are we short-staffed? Do we need more lifeguards? Where do we stand in that regard? 
Yeah, it's really interesting. We're we're not actually short staff. I think we have a shortage of positions right now, but we're really improving upon that every year. Ocean safety, I think, compared to the other first responder organizations, and remember that we, we do now talk pretty regularly, mm-hmm. we seem to be doing pretty well at ocean safety. Our retention rate is extraordinary. Our attrition rate is very low. We have a number of people who join the organization and stay. So we actually don't have a shortage of interested applicants either. Two years ago, we saw 150 people try out for 15 positions. It was a little more normal this year. We had 40 turnout, but we don't have a shortage of people who are interested in doing the job. We are transitioning our workforce to an alternate work schedule. So we're transitioning to a point where we have our employees working 10-hour days instead of eight. And the reason for this is simple. It's the best bad way to extend our hours to use the personnel that we have and just have them work a longer a longer day. So they're working four 10-hour days a week. The workforce really likes it. You know, we know our personnel really, really enjoy it. and They get a third day off. The community sees us on duty for longer hours. And practically speaking, it's far more economical. It makes more sense administratively. And so we're doing very well in that regard. However, we probably need about another 20 to 30 personnel to really pull this off island-wide to go on this 410 schedule, which would extend the hours of all 41 of our towers. And I think this summer we're going to start to really get to a point where we can achieve this. And I think the community is expecting that and, and very hopeful of seeing that very soon. I, I know there are some recent frustration over how slow the process had been to hire more lifeguards. Has there been resolution to that? I think from our perspective at Ocean Safety, we realize there are a lot of competing demands for very finite source of dollars, if you will. So we recognize that to grow our organization as rapidly as we have takes a significant investment. And so it's better to not do it overnight. We're really changing how we've done things for almost a century. And so to do so overnight would be unrealistic. And so I'm very hopeful of seeing investment by this administration in our budget and and adding our personnel. And I think more importantly, I think our our lifeguards are, you know, I think they're looking at what's happening and realizing we are a very good part of the city government. We're a very valuable workforce and a good place to invest in. And so I think our our workforce sees that and, and then in turn, the community sees that. So we're very hopeful. And when I think about ocean safety and I think about the lifeguards that we have here and what their skill set is and and the kinds of conditions that they have to be ready for and, and, and capable of rescuing people in. And then we think about Luke Shepardson's recent win at the Eddy and how it shines a light on the quality of the lifeguards that we have here. What do you think it says about our lifeguards as a whole that we have this history of these extraordinary watermen and this year one of them wins the most prestigious big wave surfing contest in the world? Luke's win is a win for lifeguards everywhere. You know, he's an everyman. And, and you know what's really cool about Luke Shepardson winning is that on the best day at the world's most famous big wave spot in the world, the most proficient person in the water was the guy who sits in the lifeguard tower. And, you know, that's amazing. But I see that as a testament to all of our 288 men and women. Uh, in our ranks, we have world-class paddlers, swimmers, champion body surfers and bodyboarders, watermen and and women who surf, stand up paddle, foil, kayak, I mean, anything in the water. And so that's how Luke's win helps demonstrate the caliber of talent and proficiency in the water that we feature at Honolulu Ocean Safety. I mean, there's no better statement to the community than realizing the person on duty and standing watch is so proficient so as to be recognized in that regard. And so it's not just Luke, it's all of all of us, you know, it's all, it's all 288 lifeguards for the island. And so that that's the statement that it made and, and we're thrilled. It's just a thrilling moment. And for lifeguards everywhere, not just Oahu, but throughout the state and really around the world. And as a avid beachgoer, it makes me feel really safe that our lifeguards are so talented, so skilled all across the state. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the job is, it can be split seconds. It can come down to split seconds that you're the difference between someone going home to their family or getting on a plane and going back to, to their home. And and that's really the most exciting part of the job. And at the same time, is really the statement that I think is is most impressive about that 
is the confidence and the ability to manage in the water. If you can't save yourself first, it's going to be tough to save somebody else. And so thanks for recognizing that because that's, you know, I think that's what gives most of our personnel the joy, the satisfaction at coming to this job. It's a one of a kind job. You get to work outdoors in sunny weather with an incredible view of the ocean and be responsible for lives. Lifeguards are constantly refining their abilities and expanding their skill set to make sure they're both physically and mentally equipped to handle the danger that comes with the job. Being able to ride giant waves in Waimea Bay is just gravy on the top. Before Luke Shepardson and I parted ways on our phone call, I asked him what comes next now that he's surfed 40 plus footers at Waimea Bay. Does he see himself charging monsters at Nazaré in Portugal? home of the world record for biggest wave ever surfed? To be honest, everybody that I've heard talk about Nazare says it's a death pit. <laughs> Everyone that has been there has said they've gotten the worst beatings of their life. It does sound very, very, very scary to go there, but I think it'd be cool to go at least one time in my life and try it out. I don't want to surf it as big as it gets, but just to surf it on a pretty good size day, it'd be cool to experience it. That was North Shore lifeguard and Eddie winner Luke Shepardson and Ocean Safety Chief John Titchen. They were talking to HBR's Russell Subiano in an interview that originally aired on March 2, 2023. Six women surfers made history this year by participating in the Eddie Aikau Big Wave Imitational for the first time in the contest's 39-year history. The city and county of Honolulu held a ceremony recently honoring them. The conversation Stephanie Hahn had a chance to speak to five of the six women who surfed the Eddie about their journeys and about how the public can support women surfers. Keala Kennelly was the first woman ever invited in 2017 by Clyde Aikau, but the last time the Eddy was held was 2016. In 2023, she was joined in the water by five of her surfing sisters. Kennelly speaks about her journey as a surfer and her future plans to sponsor women surfers with her own board short brand, A-K-K-T-I-V, Active. So what's the big message you want to give to young women out there? Just that they can do it. They can, you know, there's a place for them in this sport. It's an amazing sport and they should go after it if that's what they want to do. You know, we fought really hard for and got equal pay in WSL events, but events that are not WSL events don't necessarily have to pay us equally. So that's one thing. I think there's a big incongruency in sponsorships, you know, like brands, endorsement deals. The men make like 10, 20 times more than the women do. So there's a big discrepancy there with sponsorships with a lot of women not even having any sponsorships you know I mean getting the events back here on the North Shore was something I had to fight for the women were excluded like you know when I started competing and wanted to do pro events I would fly over from Kauai and I would do the triple crown of surfing because women were in the Haleva event women were in the sunset event alongside the men we didn't have pipe yet but we had Honolulu Bay so it gave someone like me a young girl growing up in Hawaii a pack to be a pro surfer, to make the world championship tour, to maybe be a world champion, you know. Carissa Moore had that path when she started surfing. They had the events here on the North Shore, and then they went away. And they went away for about 10 or 11 years. And it wasn't until, you know, myself and Carol and Betty DiPolito and others came and fought at the city and county and did Resolution 2012, which passed unanimously. And then that was with Heidi Tsurioko and uh, Kim Pine. And then Kim Pine wrote Bill which passed and so now you are seeing all the events for women back on the North Shore as well as women surfing in pipeline for the first time so a way that individuals can support the women is come down to their events cheer them on come watch them on the beach you know it's one of the excuses we get a lot for the women not being paid equally not having the same sponsorship money as they don't have the viewership you know so watch the women's heats on the live webcast get the viewership up for us so we 
we can justify. It's really interesting to me because it's this idea also of, let's say, using models instead of using women athletes to support and be a brand ambassador. You know, what's that? So I rode for one of the major surf brands, Billabong, for probably about 10 or 15 years of my surfing career. And I got to a point with them where they just capped my pay and then started cutting my pay. And then they would say that they didn't have budget for me, but they were paying these models to be in their ads and to, to wear their gear and go on these photo shoots. And one time it was so embarrassing, one of the models couldn't even swim. She's supposed to be, you know, representing a, an ambassador for a surf brand. The girl went on a photo shoot. She's like, I can't swim. You know, it was just like embarrassing. And like, you just would not see that in the men's. Like, you wouldn't see them using models instead of athletes in their advertising. And that's just something that has happened in the surf industry forever. One more thing I, when you said, how can people help? I started a women's board short brand. I started a brand called Active just because I feel like the brands have really neglected making good surf gear for women. So I made a women's high performance board short brand specifically for women where I use the same awesome materials that they use for the men's. You get so many choices of colors and styles and they're actually good cuts because I find that the brands, you know, they make them like way too short. They're like stiff materials. So I kept asking the brands, please let me design a women's board short that is actually functional and fashionable, but is high performance. And they wouldn't let me do it. So I went out and made my own brand. That's awesome. If, if people can support my brand, I would be stoked. It's active, A-K-K-T-I-V-E, active with two Ks. That sounds great. Yeah. And thank so you your, so let much. Let listeners know. Makani Adrick was born and raised on Oahu's North Shore and says that this event also speaks to women's athletics. I think this whole event has been a very good opportunity for the woman and the sport of surfing. I think it'll potentially open up new doors for women's events and not just in surfing but other sports. And as you see nowadays, there's so many young girls wanting to do sports that men do and nowadays it's like the girls are training hard for it they want it and they're here to show the world what they can do so I'm stoked that this opportunity has come up for us and how did you start when you were a little girl I started just surfing with my family going to the beach every day I was super young a baby but my dad would take us out surfing or my grandma would take us to the beach and we would just hang out all day and eventually I ended up getting my own surfboard and that's when I started surfing on my own. A message I would give to the young girls out there wanting to do anything would be to believe in yourself, follow your dreams, and work hard for the things that you want and do things because you want to do it. That's awesome. Thank you so much and congratulations. Thank you. Paige Alms of Maui says that riding big waves is her dream and hopes that others may find inspiration. The Eddie Invitational was one of the most special days ever. I mean, that swell, the crowd, um, the whole day, and all, everything that accumulated all together. It was it's a lifetime achievement to be able to be in a, an event like this. So it was it was hard to see it all like come all so quickly in one day. But it was honestly one of the most special days of my life, and I think it's just like the beginning for opening the doors for the next generation and I feel like a lot of the work that we're doing now and the achievements that are basically just laying the groundwork for the next generation and that's what it's all about. How people can support women surfing. How can we support this? Who's listening to this? Uh, this is, okay, everybody. Businesses. What can we do? Yeah. I mean, Business as, community. What's the message you want to give them? As far as supporting women in all sports. Surfing is a pretty unique um, sport especially big wave surfing since it doesn't happen very often being there supporting women encouraging little girls to get into it sponsoring athletes like businesses can reach out and sponsor athletes it's an amazing opportunity for a marketing strategy <laughs> and 
yeah, just cheering us on and advocating for inclusion. Yeah, I feel like as a big wave surfer, you know, what we're doing is it's pretty dangerous and it's definitely like an awe-inspiring and jaw-dropping thing to, to witness. So I feel like it's something that empowers other people to chase their dreams. By riding giant waves and showing people that it's possible, um, you're encouraging others to go out and chase their dreams as well. And that's what I hope that I'm I'm doing with my career and I hope that the next generation are, are seeing what we're doing now and knowing that they can go out and do it as well. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, no Andrea Muller is originally from Brazil, now of Maui, and gives us insight about the appeal of surfing and what it means to those back in her country of origin and her excitement about women surfers in Brazil. Well, to me, is 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 a history and it's also opening the doors for the next generation. It is, it is a time where we're finally accepted. We're finally received. Yes, big wave surfing, there's women and they can compete and they can have a category. You know, young girls can invest on big wave surfing or an athletic career because there will be opportunities for them. For many years, we struggled just to get that opportunity for us to pay off all the training, all the investment that we put into the sport. And now I feel like this is it. Like, it's happening, you know, where you are invited. You will possibly have better sponsors. You will be able to train and dedicate to the sport. And we're going to see the sport evolve. Surfing is a global phenomenon. How does it build community in that way? Brazil is an amazing country and has a beautiful coastline. But also, it is a place where there's difficulties. So I feel like the surfers in Brazil, they really, you know, saw that as an opportunity to get a career and travel and compete and do that as their work. You know, you see Medina, Caio Belli, Felipe Toledo, all these amazing surfers that are coming from Brazil. And I think they saw the light. If I dedicate, opportunities will come to them, where sometimes if you're just in Brazil, you may not have that opportunity. So surfing gave them the way of growing and moving forward in a career. Surfing was that pathway. You know, it was a platform of a true career. And I want to see Brazilian women now coming out and having that pathway, having that opportunity to grow as a surfer. Emily Erickson began surfing seriously at 17 and says that surfing has been a beautiful way to live. You know, I am really stoked that Eddie finally ran and that the women were able to join in and surf. It's been a dream for sure since I started surfing, although I did come to it relatively late in life. I didn't surf when I was a kid, so it's always just been this really great passion to stay in the ocean and it's been a, a beautiful way to live. So being able to surf in the eddy and all that, I think it's going to leave a beautiful legacy for the kids of tomorrow and it'll be amazing to see how things develop from here on out. So you didn't start when you were a kid. Tell me about how you did start. You know, I came back when I was 17 and I started boogie boarding Big Sunset. So I did that for a winter and then the next winter I took a big gun out from under my dad's house. It was a 10-6, one of his old boards, and started just taking that out to Big Sunset. And that passion really just took hold of me, and I've lived by it. I followed it. Because you did start when you're older, so you became, you're potentially battling more of a fear factor than, let's say, if you're two years old and starting. Like, what is the feeling that you have? My approach has been probably a bit unique. I ran. I ran cross-country and track. And running, like, longer distances, you have this determination kind of factor. And I wasn't, I was kind of one of these skin and bones kids. I was a skinny kid growing into my body, and it took some time to develop muscle. So I really uh, had that experience of coming into my own and gaining muscle, seeing such a change, you know, feeling athletic from a young age, right? And that determination it took for me to keep going. It was really something that I think put me in a great position to do what I did and handle the water and swim and have that kind of endurance and um, also the kind of determination in your mind you need. 
I also had, honestly, a natural sense of um, calm and coming home in the ocean. So for me, it's been beautiful, and um, I'm re just really, really thankful that I rediscovered my love of the ocean and discovered surfing, and, you know, it's been a wild story altogether. So, yeah, it's been a beautiful experience. Oh, thank you so much, and congratulations. Thank you so much. That was Andrea Moeller, Emily Erickson, Kayla Kennelly, Makani Adrick, and Paige Alms, five of the six women who surfed in the Eddie Cal Big Wave Invitational. They were talking with HPR Stephanie Hahn in an interview that aired on March 6, 2023. The sixth competitor, Justine DuPont, wasn't able to attend. Instead, her niece, Mahina Hailstones, was there to pick up the award. These history-making women have forever changed big wave surfing. Support for The Conversation comes from Skog Rasmussen, LLC, designing solutions for community engagement, project strategy, government relations, and grants services. Learn more at skograsmussen.com. This week in This American Life, when Casey's mom died, her dad went on kind of a tear, made a scene in a restaurant, and when the cops dragged him out, he urged everyone to throw nuts in his mouth, yelling, nut me. Or he went to his hairdresser, pulled out a $20 bill, and it's Andrew Jackson. And I said, I want to look like this. Dad's weird grief this week. This American Life beginning Saturday afternoon at 1. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Naamea Hawaii and PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. Twenty-two-year-old North Shore native Moana Jones Wong won the first ever women's billabong pro pipeline in January 2022. It was the first time that a women's championship tour event or CT event was held at the legendary surf spot. It was a historic day marked by clean waves and an energetic crowd. Moana Jones Wong pulling off under the curtain, standing tall. Moana, pipe barrel just underneath the hook, coming out with a spin. Arms up tall, the Bolton House is loving that. Moana Jones Wong, you are number one in the world! Moana Jones Wong was a relative unknown prior to the contest. In fact, she hadn't surfed in one in six years and was invited to compete as a wild card entry. But making history is nothing new for her. When she earned her bachelor's degree, she became the first graduate of the University of Hawaii, West Oahu's Hawaiian and Indigenous Health and Healing Program. The Conversations, Russell Subiano got a chance to talk to Wong about why surfing is important to her identity as a native Hawaiian. Winning any kind of contest is a pretty big deal, but to be the first to win this contest is pretty historic. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of people say that. Can you talk about what that victory felt like? Yes. I mean, you know, growing up watching the pipe masters and just, you know, watching videos about the best pipe surfers in the world, pipe has always drawn my attention. I just fell in love with it at an early age, but I never wanted anything to do with it because it's scary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's like super scary and dangerous, but it was so beautiful. And like, it was fun to watch, but I'll put it that way. It was very fun and very entertaining to watch. But um, as I got older, for some reason, I, I just like really got captivated and drawn to the wave and uh, started spending all my time out there mm -hmm. and just fell in love with surfing out at pipe 
even like when I would be at school, I'd be like looking at the cam, the surf line cam, watching right. pipe, just like, <laughs> oh, it's so good right now. Like, how come I'm not out there? Like, right. if pipe is good, I pretty much lose my mind. It's like, oh, why am I not out there? So yeah, like pipe is so special to me and it's not like any other wave. So last year I heard the announcement that there was going to be like a women's CT event out here. And, you know, forever it's just been the men's contest out mm -hmm. here forever so I was like wow that's that's so cool like I hope I hope I get into this contest that would be amazing and um I got the call up a couple months ago in like December to be in the contest and I was just so happy because you know pipe is like my favorite wave in the world my favorite place to be in the world like this is my home and I, I mean I was born and raised right here too so yeah it's, it's like it is my home I haven't done a contest for like six years too so this was the first contest I've done since I was 16 years old but yeah taking that win out here for me was it was something that I've just been dreaming about since I was a little kid and it's kind of like my blue crush moment yeah. <laughs> so it's like I cannot believe this It's unbelievable. And um, I still wake up. I mean, it's only been a couple of days, but like I wake up every morning and I have to go and look. I'm like, did this happen? And I'm like, it, it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. And, you know, many, many surfers dream of surfing pipeline. Others try and find that they're not ready or if it's or it's not for them. And I don't know if you saw that video, that recent video of that lifeguard pulling some tourist surfers out of pipe and telling them, you know, don't surf here. You're not ready for pipe. Yeah. You grew up on the North Shore. When did you first paddle out and how does one become proficient at surfing pipe? Well, the first time I ever paddled out, I was 12 years old. But I mean, you can paddle out the pipe on a small day and it's like. It's still gnarly. So it was a small day when I paddled out. It was like in the beginning of the winter season. Like, so the swells are still, still nothing crazy, but out at pipe, there's just so much power out here. Even if it's a small day, you're going to get, you're going to definitely be in for some beatings out here. So my first wave, I just dropped in and I just ate it so badly. And I was like a good surfer at 12 years old. Like I had all these, I was sponsored by Billabong. I was like winning all these contests and I was immediately humbled. And I was like, okay, this wave is not like any of the other waves on North shore. This wave is nothing to mess around with. Like I need to get better at surfing all the other waves. And then I'm going to come back out here when I'm ready. Yeah. So that's what I did. I went and Matt, like got super good at all the other waves, got way more comfortable in the ocean. Like put in my time. And then when I knew that I was not going to be a hazard out there and I was not going to get myself in any trouble, then I was like, okay, I'm ready to go surf pipe now. Sounds just like, just like that movie North shore, right? Where you gotta, you gotta get all the, all the steps in before you get to, to the yeah. top of the mountain. Yeah. No, it's yeah. true. It's true. That money, yeah. that, that movie North shore is like actually super accurate in a lot of ways. <laughs> it's super funny. Right. <laughs> as, as you as you were getting more proficient at surfing pipe, were there other people that that helped you that were there to kind of give you advice or, or insight? Were, were you able to kind of glean information off of others who had been surfing pipe for a, a long time? For sure. I mean, put it this way, like when I when I went out to pipe, I didn't want to like get any type of, you know, special treatment i wanted to earn my spot out there i was yeah. like just because i'm a girl and i'm born and raised here on north shore i don't want any special treatment i want to earn my spot just like everyone else out here earned their spot too so all the guys out there that are the best i think they noticed that and they liked it they liked that i never tried to like you know sit out where they were sitting or get in anybody's way i was always super respectful and just you know to myself and just caught my waves that i knew that I was, those are, those are my waves. I'm going to go on those waves. Everyone else's waves. Like I'm not going to even try to even go on your waves, but um, people that really were super nice to me and gave me awesome tips out there was people like Derek Ho, yeah. um, Jamie O'Brien, John, John Florence, all the local boys out here. They pretty much all adopted me as their little sister and just right treated me like family and all 
watched my progression and cheered me on the whole way. And when there was any type of tips or advice, they would give it to me. But for the most part, it was just like them, you know, watching me, if watching over me and making yeah. sure like I was okay. If I, right. if I did it on a wave, they would all look in and make sure I was good. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. But yeah, they, they all had a huge role in me surfing out at pipe. Cause I watched them. Those are the people that I wanted to surf. Like I'm going to sit right here and I'm going to take notes right now. And that's what I did. <laughs> I love that you had a very student approach to it, knowing that you had a lot to learn before you yes. were able to get in there. You know, more women surfers have entered into the public consciousness in recent years. Just kind of off the top of my head, I think about Bethany Hamilton producing the Soul Surfer movie, Carissa Moore winning an Olympic gold medal. Who were your influences and how have you seen opportunities increase for women surfers to be a larger part of the conversation? My influences was for sure Bethany, Carissa, like they're like heroes for sure. Kayla Cannelly, Rochelle Ballard, like they're like the original pipe girls for sure. And like they they paved the way for for all of us in like surfing heavier waves. Um, I think that because of the contest out of pipe, the CT contest, and because of like other venues on the tour from the uh, WSL, such as GLAN or Chopes in Tahiti, with these kind of heavier waves that have been iconic spots for the men, I think this is really going to make bigger names for women in surfing. Because, you know, the women never had such prestigious waves, you know, they had like, you know, pretty like not the greatest waves. So no one really cares. It's like not trying to talk bad about anybody. No, not a lot of people really, you know, care to watch junk waves. Like no one wants to see like junk wave. We want to see like firing, beautiful, heavy waves. Like this is like a show. Like we want to, we want to see a show. And I think with women surfing, going in that direction of those type of waves, those more iconic waves, there's going to be a lot more, a lot more talk around women surfing. I think surfing is one of the, one of the big sports where the playing ground is, is pretty even. I mean, it doesn't matter how tall you are or how short you are. It just matters how good you are on the board, on the wave. So it seems like the opportunity for women to surf the same waves as men is, mm-hmm. you know, it, yeah. it's, it's on the horizon. Yeah. Totally. Cause like I, I can, I'm a great person to represent that because I'm five, I'm like pretty much almost five, two, and I weigh like 110 pounds uh-huh. and I've caught in a lot of waves at pipe that the guys will go on too. So I feel pretty, I mean, that makes me feel good about myself. I'm like, yeah. Oh, like, a guy wanted to go for this wave and I was deeper than him and he had to back off for me. I was like, Oh, cool. This must've been a pretty good wave. Then you said in a, in an interview with university of Hawaii news that surfing gave you your identity, that you feel connected to our culture, our ancestors and the ocean when you're out there. Can you talk a little bit more about this, this idea of, of our identities being tied to Hawaiian traditions like surfing, you know, like think yes. about, yeah, think about the people that, that dance for Mary Marnar and are excellent at their skills. Why is it important for us as Hawaiians to connect to one or more parts of our culture and be able to build our identity that way? Well, in Hawaiian culture, there is, I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's called the Lokahi Triangle. And at the top of the triangle is Keakua. And on either side of the triangle is the Kai and the Aina, so the ocean and the land. And then on the other side is the Kanaka. So that's like us together as humans and Hawaiians. We cannot be connected to our culture if we're not connected to the ocean, connected to the land. To connect yourself to the ocean or the land, you have to spend time in it. You have to be a part of it. So for me, connecting to the ocean is surfing. And other people, it's fishing or maybe like, diving like whatever like just being spending time in the ocean getting a relationship with it because as native hawaiians the ocean is just as much our home as land and when we are connected to you know the ocean the land each other keakua that is that is as close as we're gonna get to being in lokahi which is harmony unity 
And it's just, that's every goal for a native Hawaiian. And I feel like I am in Lokahi because of surfing. Thank you so much for your time, Moana, and congratulations on your big win. No worries, thank you. on Science Friday, studying the possible climate impact of sewage plants. That waste that comes into the plant, that carbon has to go somewhere and anaerobic conditions produce methane. Why estimates of methane emission may be way off. That's on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Beginning this afternoon at one. There's no more recognizable family name in jazz in New Orleans and beyond than Marsalis. We pay tribute to the late pianist Ellis Marsalis Jr. and his musical sons, Wynton Branford and Delphio, plus a live set with son Jason playing the music of his father. I'm Nick Spitzer. Join me for American Roots from PRX. Beginning Saturday evening at 6, following Weekend All Things Considered. Kahomanu to Olympic gold medalist Carissa Moore, women have continued to make their mark on surfing. According to the website Surfer Today, out of 23 million people who surf worldwide, 19% are women, and that number is on the rise. Sheila Gallion is a writer and creator of the Dropping Into Power podcast, and Elizabeth Sneed is the founder of the Curvy Surfer Girl brand. They are social media influencers who spread the gospel of surfing to women as a way of self-acceptance and community. The conversation Stephanie Hahn spoke with Gallion and Sneed about why they feel women can benefit from this beloved local sport. I'll have Elizabeth start. Okay. And why do you think so many women are starting to surf now? I think it's a wonderful time. We have a lot of access that previously didn't exist. We've got boards and instructors, and we have representation that continues to emerge for women across social media. You know, maybe 30, 40 years ago, it wasn't as welcoming to women because it was primarily a male-driven hobby and activity, although there were powerful women on the scene. I think now we're seeing cultural shifts and men are more welcoming, surf breaks are more welcoming as we have an evolution of consciousness in the 21st century. Sheila, do you have any particular insight? You've been surfing for many years now. All of the reasons that Elizabeth cited are accurate. And when I started in 2001, it it was uncommon. Although, interestingly, I knew some women who started board shops and women's sort of surf-oriented businesses at that time, and there really weren't enough women. I absolutely credit Costco and the foam surfboard for getting just way more beginners in the water, period. Another piece is just women athletes breaking so many barriers. So not the least of which is women getting paid the same, I believe it was as of 2019 in the competitive surf world, just so much more exposure, like Elizabeth said. So it's a confluence of a lot of events, just you know, more accessibility, better equipment, more encouragement, just snowballed because of the women's communities that have risen up and the women's surf schools and the social media and the presence. When I first started surfing, it came out of a time for me that was a, a really difficult emotional time. I had lost my stepsister, gotten a divorce, left a job, started a business. You know, I actually was suicidal and I found myself drawn to a place in the water that I'd long been drawn to but had never been able to surf up in Northern California. And starting surfing, it just transformed absolutely 
everything about my life. I mean, everything, how I thought, how I wrote, found my voice as a writer, courage, strength, commitment. There's not a single part of my life that it didn't touch. And I can completely judge my life before and after surfing and it hasn't faded. From that, I ended up learning to surf and then I wrote a movie about that experience called Dropping In. Stories of women's transformations create other women's transformations. I actually started learning how to surf when I was at my heaviest. I'm a pretty short girl. I'm only five feet tall. And at the time, I was approaching about 220 pounds. And that was really heavy for me. That was the heaviest I'd ever been. And I was very insecure. I didn't know if I was even capable of surfing in my body type. I didn't know if I was going to have the strength, the athleticism, and my surf coach, Chelsea, at Ohana Surf Project psychologically. And she told me that, you know, your body type isn't a reason not to surf. And she was really the first person that had ever said that out loud to me and continued to motivate me to show up. And I dropped down to a pretty small size. I have an autoimmune condition, so my weight can tend to fluctuate, and it, it dropped down quite a bit. And then a couple years after I'd been surfing, I started gaining weight again, and I firsthand recognized the discrimination that was happening. There were no swimsuits that would fit me. There was no one that looked like me, and uh, I decided to launch Curvy Surfer Girl in June of 2020. In doing so, we have invited tens of thousands of women to join us, and I believe that corporate surf brands have started to make that shift slowly but surely. And my goal is to create products and visuals and stories that support women coming into surfing. So Sheila, you mentioned before on your podcast that you thought of surfing as a calling. Calling really comes from that moment where you make this intense connection with I guess I would connect it to what I call freedom. It's total connection and flow. Let's not call it freedom, let's call it flow. So that moment where you're one with the wave, where you're being, you know, you're in the pocket, you push, you get that tiny feeling. And the other part that goes to empowerment, and this is especially true, I think, for people that learn as adults, is you have to sink into your deep own knowing. And so I tuned into this place in myself where I would just I would just feel the wave and I would paddle over to it and it would come. So I had to find a different way to catch waves than just getting deeper at the peak. So part of my empowerment was listening to my deepest self and listening to the ocean. Now, it doesn't always work out that way. You paddle over there, you're not guaranteed a prize. Learning to listen that when you went out and it was too big and you should have listened to yourself, but also on the other side, listening to when you need to push yourself. How might surfers who are outsiders to Hawaii, who are not Hawaiian, honor the sport's origins? Elizabeth? One of the ways I think that you can honor the tradition of surfing and the native Hawaiian people is to learn about the history and the culture of the Hawaiian Islands. I think that there are extraordinary icons of surfing that have played a very important role in the concepts of liberation and freedom within a colonialist structure after, you know, 1890 with the overthrow of Queen Liliuokalani and just understanding that heritage, what it means to be in the water and how special and sacred of a practice it is in Hawaii just recognizing that for some this is a sacred place and a sacred tradition that dates back almost a thousand years and learn about people like Eddie Aikau, Duke Kahanamoku, Princess Kaiulani, and the role that colonialism played in almost wiping surfing off the map. A good place to start anywhere is with tremendous respect for the break itself and particularly to those watermen and women that are experienced, that are clearly connected with the place. And yes, especially um, if they're Native Hawaiian, just having a constant awareness that this is where it came from and having tremendous respect for the ocean and for the people who love it and know it best. Thankfully, you know, attracted a, a group of women that are really very positive, encouraging, motivating. I think that we embrace vulnerability 
because vulnerability is really the way that we can connect with other women and people. So I try to show as many of my failures and hardships as much as my wins and successes. You know, anything that I can do to really encourage women to be successful and happy and maybe even take risks that they wouldn't normally take. And if you can think of a single valuable lesson, Elizabeth, that women can take from surfing, what would it be? One of the most important things surfing has taught me is how to surrender. It's really important because a lot of women have to go through life making very challenging decisions. And when we go out into the ocean, we have to learn to surrender. We have to learn what it means to be in rhythm and harmony of nature. And that also goes in line with what Sheila was saying about learning humility and respect. If you don't show up with humility and respect, eventually the ocean will give you that lesson. The single lesson for me is about how to fail miserably and fail ugly and still find a way to get through all of those repercussions. And I think for women, a big part of failure is shame that we have, we put, I don't, I can't really speak to what a man's experience is, but I know for women, we feel ashamed. We have such perfectionism in our minds. We're so aware that people are watching us. I need to paddle out again. Right. All of those things develop this inner muscle that is so helpful and so empowering for women. That was HPR Stephanie Hahn speaking to podcaster Shelia Gallian and social media influencer Elizabeth Sneed. The interview originally aired November 14th, 2022. Well, that's it for our Hanaho show showcasing surfers and surfing stories in Hawaii. You can listen back to our program on the conversation page of our HBR website or sign up for the conversation podcast on Spotify or iTunes. Give us your feedback and your stories by calling our talkback line 808-792-8217 or email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Our program is produced by Russell Subiano, Lillian Song, and Stephanie Hahn. The Backyard Quiz theme written for us by John DeMello and our theme music is courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Tune in on Monday. Pick up the conversation.